Welcome to the 79th episode of Delica, a podcast between two friends about the latest in society, politics, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tangkilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And this week, we have a very special guest. Barry Vegan, who is an architect and urban planner who is currently the program director at Kota Kita. An NGO working on building resilient cities and fighting climate change. Uh, we're going to talk about um, climate change and its risks to Indonesia and Indonesian cities and um, what's going on in terms of like mitigation and, adapt- and adapting to these risks. As well as our hopes and dreams about what Indonesia, especially with the new government, can do to move the conversation forward and make real progress, not just at the government level, but also at the local level and certainly at the individual level. So, here's to it. So we can have a very special guest, uh, my friend Barry Began. And Barry, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Barry Began. I'm the program director for uh, Kotakita Foundation. It's an urban planning NGO based in Indonesia. And we currently work in governance, inclusivity, and climate change resilience. We have been around for 10 years, and we focus on building bridges between citizens and the government. And in fact, more recently, I think we're also considering we're working together with private sector as well in the mix. And I think our work ranges quite a bit from um, sort of more grassroots working together with communities to design and plan uh, for themselves and all the way to more strategic planning with cities and also national level advocacy. Right? And uh, in fact, one of the projects that we're currently working on right now is uh, developing a country report for urban resilience targeting the urban poor in Indonesian cities. And that's like all super really interesting and important to talk about. But I think today we kind of want to focus on your work in climate change mitigation and planning for changes in our climate um because i think a lot of the conversations that we hear in the media on around climate change has been pretty general and i think like i'm personally curious about what are the particular risks in indo itself and where are the risks and who are at risk kind of this is going to be a big topic yeah but let's let's start with the risks you know uh, i think you know in 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 sort of the study of risk, we know that there are three terms, right? There's uh, hazards, there's vulnerability, and then there's exposure. And let's start with exposure. You know, our, our country, uh, we're made up of more than 17,000 islands. And our economy is largely dependent on coastal cities. About 73% uh, of our population is found on coastal cities that are largely exposed to sea level rise and also a lot of other impacts like more drastic storm surges and also islands that are disappearing right this increases the exposure part and in terms of vulnerability i think we are looking at a few things there's institutional and also the 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 way that our cities are currently structured 
right? A lot of um, cities along the north coast of Java are, are sinking. In fact, it's not so much uh, because of sea level rise only, but it's actually sinking much faster than the sea level is mm-hmm. rising because the way the water is used, because of ge- uh, geomorphologies, a lot of the coast is sitting on soft soil, but it's being exacerbated by groundwater extraction and also overdevelopment. Right. So, uh, and a lot of our communities are also vulnerable because they may not have the capacity to bounce back after a flood or mm-hmm. a storm surge. Um, so they're impacted by it. And in the same way, our cities can be said to be more vulnerable than cities that are more prepared because our institutions may not be set up uh, to counter some of these disasters. So what like physically happens when you're extracting water and then building really heavy stuff on top of it? Right. So, well, take a take a wet sponge. That's sort of what our ground is like. Yeah. If you try to extract the water out from above, the sponge sinks shrinks, down. Yeah. Right. And that on top of weight and weight of development. And so that that's sort of the mechanism that happens. We're... And it's irreversible, unlike a sponge, right. because the, when the when the clay layers are the water is depleted, the aquifer is depleted, it, and everything just gets compressed, right? Correct. Besides Jakarta, which I think most people know is sinking, what are the other big cities? <laughs> right, there? there 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 are a few. So there's uh, there's Samara, there's mm-hmm. Surabaya, Pakalongan as well. Um, and actually, the other method of sinking, sort of the mechanism of sinking, is also from uh, peatland oxidization mm-hmm. and peatland oxidization is largely found uh, in Sumatra uh, and also in, in Borneo and so cities like Pontianak is also uh, sort of susceptible to land subsidence When you say peatland oxidization what do you exactly mean by that? Is it the burning of peatland or is it something else? So the peatland oxidization happens when uh, the soil is, is exposed to air and a lot of it happens after when it's being drained. This is similar to a big chunk of Netherlands. Right? Yeah. And, and, or it's, been, it's being converted to other uses for agriculture. I feel a little bit like, uh, as with the case with Jakarta, right? It was a case of overdevelopment by infrastructure. This seems to me a little bit of like overdevelopment by another means, like you never let the land recover enough. You just keep using it and using it and using it. And then now we're in a state we're in. Mm, I, yeah, I think a lot of it is is always in the intersection of, uh, you know, urbanization. Yeah. And sort of like development. I'm, I mean, in some ways, the development of agriculture and uh, sort of, uh, you know, let's say palm oil mm-hmm. plantations, uh, those are being consumed in the cities, right? So mm-hmm. it's, I mean, these are all also extensions of urbanization. Yeah. Broadly. Yeah, and it's, it's a matter of uh, how well we can uh, manage or predict these changes and actually want to control them. Who are the mo- people who are most at risk within? The people who are most, most at risk, unfortunately, are the ones who are already vulnerable in itself, right? So mm-hmm. the urban poor, uh, the marginalized, and those are... Uh, you know, a lot of people with very little capacity to sort of bounce back. Yeah. The thing to note is that it's not just the most poor, right? But it's the people who are sort of at a at the brink of poverty. 
imagine if you it's a little bit like the whole healthcare argument right so if as soon as you hit a disaster and there's no social protection and you have to suddenly uh, spend and it disrupts your cash flow and the way that you work like that without any uh, support you could be very well get stuck at the at the cycle it tips you over the edge right like right. you might not have been under the poverty line but you're you're one disaster away. Exactly. Yeah, because everything then adds up. us through like one of your projects and how you know what that looks like and how how that experience has been trying to like you know do what you do yeah i think it can be kind of hard to visualize exactly what you do you know maybe we could we could go to smarang so we, we've spent quite a bit of time there in fact i started on this project the moment i got back to Indonesia. The larger program is called uh, Water as Leverage, and this was initiated by uh, the Dutch government, um, sort of this, the brainchild of Henk Ovink. He's, he's the special envoy for water from the Netherlands, mm-hmm. right? And he was involved in, yeah, you could say he was, a, he was the one who initiated Rebuild by Design in New York, right? Where after Sandy, the problem of uh, disaster resiliency so hurricane sandy was a really huge hurricane that hit the coast of new york and um caused a lot of power outages and really destroyed like certain parts of new york i think it really brought to light to a lot of americans the reality and the true cost and consequences of climate change um in a way that they probably have never thought about before right so then um i think after that experience uh, there's a thought, okay, so what are some of the most vulnerable uh, cities in in the world? And a lot of them are found in South and Southeast Asia. Yeah. So the Waters Leverage Program was looking at three um, cities to start with, which was Samarang, Indonesia, Chennai, India, and Kulna, Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Right? And we happened to um, be working in the team in Samarang. And this was a big team that had hydrologists, urban designers, urban planners, uh, NGOs, academics working together. And I think that this was to look at how you can conceptualize water urban projects in the city. Right. Uh, and this was quite interesting because Rebuild by Design in New York was a program that was started as a reaction to a disaster mm-hmm. in uh, one of the most powerful countries the wealthiest cities in the world. Yeah. So the reaction was supported by $50 billion. Yeah. Right. The Waters Leverage program was trying to use a very small sum of money to support a sort of this action research and and concept building to actually create bankable projects right. from the ground up. So that was the ambition. I, I will get to where this leads us to next right so this when when you talk about bankability in the world of infrastructure and, and urban planning mm-hmm. is that uh you end up in the terms of uh 
what the development banks, how the development banks are thinking mm-hmm. and how the country is thinking about infrastructure. So then you get back into the commercial viability, return on investments. And, uh, you know, so things like water treatment plant makes sense because you can sell, sell the water when you treat it. Yeah. Uh, toll road makes sense because there's toll road concessions and fees. But when it comes to more integrated projects where you actually have to do uh, the urban planning and has to do with real estate development and institutions and enforcement, now your metrics is all out of whack. Yeah. You, you don't know, like, what, what is the return on investment mm-hmm. on, you know, improving monitoring of groundwater extraction? How can you make this financially sustainable in the first place? And it's like kind of unfair to place this burden on this project as opposed to well it's not that it was uh, unfair in fact we we actually tried to use that as a challenge so we actually challenged the brief to say like okay let's not focus on typical projects because we know where the low-hanging fruits are mm-hmm. right seawall pumps dikes uh water treatment plants so we ended up you know as a team with the city of samara to propose sort of five programs that have longer term impact right you know things like controlling the sort of land use in the upland area so that you can manage water better yeah uh to leverage the ongoing uh big infrastructure projects like the toll road on the on the uh coast to develop protection systems but also use that opportunity to solve the problem of management in the industrial areas right Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and also improving the water supply. But these projects uh, do not just come online immediately. Of they course. take a long time. And, you know, let's say one of the um, programs that we proposed was to, you know, use this opportunity where they're trying to build a tall road and seawall along the coast in Samara. Uh, we know that the land value is going to go up. Uh, if the land is protected, right? Because right now it, it floods every evening. Yeah. And how do you use that opportunity for the land value increase to actually, you know, incentivize the government or maybe other investors to sort of reacquisition the industrial area? Because right now the industrial areas are undermanaged. And the reason why a lot of groundwater extraction happens in Indonesia is because the industrial areas are they're undermanaged, so they don't have centralized systems for water supply. And this goes back to our question of uh, where do we want to go with manufacturing in Indonesia, right? right? If we don't have the proper infrastructure, if we're just dependent on these types of industries to uh, participate in trade, I think we, you know, so so in some ways, investing in sort of climate change resilience can also mean investing in better manufacturing capacity. And there's like an impact in other industries, like it's going to benefit other industries beyond those that are just directly related to climate change and climate change initiatives. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is, we're right now only talking about the concepts. Yeah. But I think, you know, I want to say a little bit about what what is the uptake on the ground, right? Because it's always very easy to produce a vision and, mm-hmm. and concepts. And in some ways, these we we did a lot of work sort of to engage this collaboratively with the city itself right right? so a a lot of the thinking and the knowledge of of how to strategically plan for this and these inter complex interrelated things and how you might solve that that then gets taken up by some of the uh, city agency officials that have been working closely with us right and they then become these champions for the ideas and it's going to continue on to sort of um 
in their planning process. And yes. I think that's the most important part. We, we, we ourselves don't know what the impact will be yet, but we're sort of in continuous conversation about how this works, you know, when there's an opportunity to bring this up to the national government or things like that, then, you know, we will do it. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, just just coming out of the meeting that yeah. I was in before, we just learned about this uh, policy that the government has about reforestation. Mm-hmm. And this was since uh, 2012. Okay, I'll, I'll have to get back to it. But, but we have uh, a policy on reforestation fund. Reforestation. Right. And, and th- this fund is actually coming from uh, actually the, the, the sort of actors uh, in that field. Right? So the companies that are in mining and energy mm-hmm. and in the paper and pulp industries, like they can actually contribute to this fund. And apparently we do have a surplus of that fund, but the mechanism of how to use it is, is still quite weak. So a lot of money is actually backed up. So can I kind of summarize? So the policy, the national policies are not per- somewhat there. Or they're there. It's just like how it's being implemented. Right. You know, in, in some ways, we're still learning from our decentralization, right? So there's yeah. still a lot of knowledge transfer and uh, sort of capacity that needs to be strengthened in uh, in the local governments, you know, in the in in the around the region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of this uh, this. You know, in some ways, this is reflective of our of the way that our brain terrain happens. Yeah, all the smart people wants to work at the ministry level, so they're producing right. these incredible policies, you know, and, and and white papers at the at that level, but translating it to the ground has been very very difficult. Mm-hmm. Speaking of national level, as we were just saying, you know, um, obviously we're entering into a new phase of government, you know, with new leaders in the parliament. Obviously, we still have Jokowi, but potentially new ministers. What are some of your hopes and dreams about what Indonesia can do um, to fight climate change and to build better, more resilient cities? I think there has to be an acceleration of action. Mm -hmm. you know the the urgency needs to be set not just at the top level of governance but also across the country you know so i think that level of awareness needs to be done what can you know the average person or listener or people do that is that is a very good question because i think that's <laughs> something very immediate right and well in terms of mitigating emissions i think it's quite simple you know i think we're we should consider less motorized transportation when we can. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, just managing our waste better. You know, use less plastic. Mm-hmm. Right. And be considerate about water as well. Yeah. Uh, so I think there there are many things that you could do from day to day, and this is something that we that has been uh, drilled into us even when we were young. Right. There's yeah. a lot of campaigns because so we we should just keep continuing that. Uh, does it? the the understanding that sort of the branding of climate change has changed now but it's no different than 30 years ago when on tv you still see things like safe water mm-hmm. right and how can we become more active citizens like what are the things we can support like what movements in indonesia we do have senators where we do have deputy like there are regional parliament members right or even just our community leaders 
you know, be, be involved in your uh, Kalurahan Musrinbang, you know, the participatory budgeting forums, yeah. right? And I think that's that's how you become an engaged citizen. Tweet at your local anggota DPRD. Like, what is your policy on climate change? And what are you doing to advocate for us? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'd love those kind of questions. Um, anyways, Barry, uh, do you have anything else you want to add that we haven't covered in our conversation? Yeah, actually, that's, you know, this sounds pretty gloomy because I think we we do have to realize that um, even with all these preventative measures, like mitigation measures that we're, we need to consider things like uh, reducing energy emissions and uh, you know our everyday activities, things are still going to change. Yeah, uh, you know the climate is still going to change, and we still need to adapt at least in the in in the medium to long term. So we do still need to act very quickly as well to invest in measures that so that we can become more resilient in our cities. So does that mean like not building more in areas closer to shore? Like wh- that's yeah, see those types of measures are quite tricky. I think um we it's not so much about not building close to shore, right? Again, because the issues are not just preventing floods or sea level rise, but it's about, mm-hmm. you know, how do you live in a denser environment? How do you uh sort of invest more in public transportation, mm-hmm. right? Um how do you invest more in water management? How do you truly adapt, right, to this new reality? Yeah, actually, yeah, climate change will also change the nature of our jobs. Yeah. Right? Coastal cities will be impacted, and so so are coastal industries. There's job losses. Um, people who are fishermen can't. It'll be harder for them to fish, and we'll, they'll need to find alternative employment, and how can we help them access a new job market? Right. Exactly. And agriculture is also being affected. So I think there are many things that we have to consider. And why why wouldn't it, you know, same thing as a, a green new economy is also a, a viable employment pathway if we invest in that direction. Yeah. Well, thank you, Barry, for coming on to this episode and talking to us about, albeit a depressing topic, but a necessary one. And, you know... Stephanie and I both want to feature people doing good work and great work that might not always be visible in the mainstream. And I think you and Kotakita are doing amazing work. So for our listeners who want to support you and want to find out more about you, how can they do that? Uh, follow us, you know, check out our website at www.kotakita.org. Or I think nowadays we're more active in our Instagram at org. Do you have volunteer opportunities? Is there a way people can involve? Yes, in actually, we we are looking for people right now. Uh, we are getting uh, very busy mm-hmm. and active, and we are looking for volunteers, interns, and people who want to join us. You know, to build our team together. So we're we're expanding. We're hiring six people in a month. Mm-hmm. We're currently hiring a uh, um, program officers that will be contributing to our climate change and urban resilience programs. Yeah. We're active in seven different cities, including cities in Laos and Cambodia. So what are the other cities besides? Smarang, Sleman, uh, Banjarmasin, uh, Bima, Pontianak, Manado, and then Samna in Laos and uh, Krache in Cambodia. So yeah, if you are listeners from those areas, go to katakita.org. And find out more about these opportunities and you can get literally involved in fighting climate change.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!